Okay, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As today we cover verses 17 through 34, we journey through 1 Corinthians. And if I were to give today's study a title, I'd probably call it the, the Union of Communion. And so we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says in verse 17, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Imagine leaving church service worse than when you arrived. That's not our intention, huh? We want to come to church service and we want to draw closer to God. We want to get stronger uh, with his power. Uh, We want to learn. We want to leave, I guess you can say, better than when we came. But here, as Paul continues his instructions to the Corinthians, we see a a contrast. Earlier in verse 2, he said, we praise you because you guys keep the traditions. But here he basically says, regarding the Lord's Supper, I, I don't have anything good to say i do not praise you and so today we're going to talk about the lord's supper and i pray that god would use it to to do something special within us so that it would never be the same when we partake of the lord's supper you know and paul here he's going to say you're not doing this right you guys have it backwards it's working against you and people were leaving discouraged rather than encouraged the nlt puts it this way uh, but in the following instructions i cannot praise you for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together and and the reason is when they were meeting together they weren't really together when they were having these so-called love feasts there was no love and I'll tell you what, as a church, uh, that's, those are things that will destroy us, that will sink us. We have to be together. We have to be united. We have to be one. And there has to be love here. You know, I know we all have our struggles, and there's a great diversity. But even in that diversity, there must be unity, and there must be harmony. That way, no matter who it is, comes through those doors. That when they leave, they will leave better, so to speak, than when they came. Because they walked into an atmosphere of agape love. They, they experienced a church, not a perfect church, but a real church that is united in Christ. And so Paul here is going to deal with this issue, you know, because they were lacking the love. And it was obvious. Imagine, again, leaving church service worse than when you arrived but this can happen when there are divisions in the body and that's why paul writes in verse 18 for first of all when you come together as a church i hear that there are divisions among you and in part i believe it for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you therefore when you come together in one place it is not to eat the lord's supper For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Now, Paul heard there were divisions among them. 
some some say that what Paul is teaching here is that these divisions, these factions, however you label them, are, are okay and even necessary in the church to be able to distinguish between good and bad. Look again, if you would, at, at verse 18. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions. I, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Now, so I got to tell you guys this because when you're reading the commentaries and you're listening to various teachings, there are some solid teachers who believe that what Paul is saying right here is that sometimes these divisions, these factions, these distinctions are necessary so that you can tell what's right and what's wrong. Um, and I guess you could say where you belong or what's different. Uh, for example, uh, when Pastor Chuck passed away, he, uh, he asked that the Calvary chapels, you know, they would go on being headed up, led by a group of men. And so we have uh, the instructions given to us by Pastor Chuck. But as time progressed, um, his son-in-law, Brian Broderson, kind of said, no, I don't want to do it that way. And so there was a split. You know, and so we are just kind of like, you know, following along the philosophy of ministry, the beliefs, the teachings of Pastor Chuck. We're at Calvary Chapel. Now, one of the things that you'll notice difference than Calvary Chapel Association and Calvary Chapel Global Network is that Calvary Chapel Association, they really hold tight to our distinctives, uh, while CGN is more open to different views. As you guys uh, continue on in your Christian journey, um, you're unfortunately going to find some things that are probably going to be problematic to you. You can go to a church down the street where they think it's okay to drink uh, not only wine casually at home, and they kind of promote it as kind of drawing people in. But I remember one brother even told me that he went to a men's fellowship and they were taking shots. That's some churches, so they say it's okay. Uh, there are some churches out there that say it's okay for a woman to be a pastor in the church. We don't hold to that, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, there are some churches out there. My son was telling me about uh, one of the guys that is a pastor, a youth pastor, and he throws down F-bombs. And so they say it's okay, you know, to use vulgar language. And so, you know, we don't do that. And so what Paul might be saying here, according to some teachers, is that there needs to be distinctions. There needs to be sex. There needs to be differences so that you can tell who's right or who's wrong, right? And so that, that's one view, and I need to mention that to you because there's a lot of solid teachers who teach that. But, but when I read it here, and I've taught this differently uh, than the last time. It's kind of funny. I can kind of go either way. But I think what Paul is really saying here is that as a church, you guys are struggling. People are leaving worse than when they came in because of the simple fact that the divisions that are there are not right. I think that that's really what Paul is saying. Maybe even being a little sarcastic. Yeah, those are the special ones. Yeah, those are the elite ones. And sometimes you go into churches and it's kind of like that. No, on the contrary, he really has nothing good to say to them at this point. He's not praising them. He's not commending them. Because these types of divisions are always detrimental. 
know, earlier in the letter, you guys might remember, uh, Paul uh, was talking about how there were divisions in the church and how some guys were lining up under their favorite messengers, right? Some said, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Apollos, right? Or I'm of Christ. And there was that type of division lining up under their favorite messengers. Here, it, it appears that they're dividing over meals and ultimately, I think, over money. It was kind of like they were being social snobs because some people were going into the love feast and they were kind of hoarding their own food and saying, hey, no, this is our clique. A clique is a, a closed circle. You can't come in. We're the elite. We're the rich. Because when you, we look at the Lord's Supper, and we're going to see how it all unfolded, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper after the Passover, right? It was the fourth cup. And so basically it was dinner and then communion, dinner and then the Lord's Supper. So the early church, whenever they would uh, practice the Lord's Supper or communion, they had dinner. It was definitely what we would call a potluck. Now, how many of you guys like potlucks? I'm just curious. I mean, they're just amazing, huh? You know, and so when they had their potlucks, though, this is what was going on because you had people that were rich, that were bringing filet mignon, that were bringing caviar, whatever the good food is. And they had some who were so poor that, that all they could bring is fideo or whatever, like some canned beans or something, you know, potato tacos. I don't know, whatever your equivalent is. And, uh, and so imagine, for those of you who have gone to our, our marriage fellowships, imagine if the people brought in the food and they had like a table over here and the ones with the filet mignon, they just brought it to their table. Hey, you got the good stuff? Hey, let's sit over here because, you know, they're going to come and they're going to bring beans lately and they're going to take all our stuff. That, that's what was going on. And there were these cliques. There was these closed circles. There was these divisions. And, and Paul is saying, and he's going to say, that is something that we can't have as a church. You know, we can't have uh, these things because they're so destructive. William Parkley said this, In Corinth, the art of sharing had been lost. The rich did not share their food, but ate it in little exclusive groups by themselves, hurrying through it in case they had to share with the poor who had next to nothing. The result was that the meal at which the social differences between members of the church should have been obliterated, obliterated only succeeded in aggravating those same differences. You know, Pastor Chuck talked about how when they would have the church potlucks in the early days, you guys might remember, they had these communes, they had these homes. And so they would have the good stuff that would come. He talked about the steaks. But these hippies in these homes couldn't afford that. And so they would bring a big pot of beans. He said when the hippies came in, they would drop off the big pot of beans and they would go straight to the steak. And so by the time that he ate, and he was always last, by the time that he ate, the steak was gone. Now you have to ask yourself, if that were you, would you be offended? No. Because they never had steak. This is us sharing. This is communion. This is fellowship. This is love. And so imagine, you know, hey, this is my steak. Imagine you were like, hey, this is my circle. These are my people. And then after you have dinner, 
now you have communion. Talk about hypocrisy. But it's not just hypocrisy in the Lord's Supper. It's hypocrisy in the Lord's church. And we have to be so careful with these things. Division will destroy us in any form, whether it's little drops of subtle seeds of discord or, or something more manifest, you know, more open. You know, Jesus said in Matthew twelve twenty five, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. You know, we need to be united regardless of teaching, tastes, or social status. We need to rally together around the truth and our Savior because when we're bonded, we're blessed. And even though there's this great diversity, God will do a wonderful work. I've always go back to Psalm 133. You guys remember that psalm? Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. See, they were together, they were coming together, didn't mean they were united. We have to dwell together in unity. He says, behold how, how beautiful it is, how pleasant it is. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. What's that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit and not just a little anointing. That's an amazing anointing where you anoint his head and this, the oils is dropping down, going all over him, over his beard, over his garments. You know, if we would allow those petty differences to be put aside and just be swallowed up by this love that God has for us, that we should have for each other, we'll experience the anointing of the Holy Spirit and then he goes on and describe it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. You know, the, the dew, you guys know what the dew is. It's the blessings from above, you know, that God drops upon us in order to bring fruit. Imagine that. That's what happens when we're united. He says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And that's why it's so important to be united as a as a family, as a flock, because there's anointing, there's blessing. We have to make sure, you guys, that the devil will love to come in and divide and conquer. Don't let him. Not, not in any way. Not in your heart, because that's where it begins. In Corinth, unfortunately, there was that division because of different tastes and teachers or because of you know, social status or whatever, you know, your, uh, uh, I mean, we experienced it in high school, how ugly that was. What, you're a jock? You know, you're not the popular one? As a church, every single person should be loved and, and welcomed. We have to be really careful. Imagine leaving church service worse than when you arrived. This can happen when there are divisions in the body but it can be avoided with this thing we call, remember when you were Catholics, they called it Holy Communion. Holy Communion. Because look what Paul says in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And, and again, this is all part of the Lord's Supper. They would eat the way they ate. And then they would have communion. It was all one package for them. And I, I kind of wish it was all one package for us too. Maybe one day when we get a building, this crazy building, we'll be able to do this more frequently. You know, to have dinner and then to have communion the way that they did in the early days in the church. You could do it at home, that's for sure. But, but you know, here, when you, when you think about it, what a contrast between what they were doing and what Christ did. What an absolute contrast. You know, the Corinthians were fundamentally selfish, while Christ was completely and absolutely selfless. Christ didn't come to take. He, he, he gave himself. He gave his body. He gave his blood. It was so much more than dinner. It was death on a cross, accepted the same night in which he was betrayed. There was nothing slowing him down or holding him back. It was just pure love. This is what we call the Lord's Supper. It's holy. You know, when you, when you look at this, and Paul here is trying to share with them, I'm giving to you what I got from Christ. This is, this is from Jesus. This is something that is from him. He didn't receive it through men. It says in the book of Galatians, he got it directly from Christ. This whole thing we call communion. And as we go through this, I want to give you guys four words that might be helpful regarding communion, regarding what we call the Lord's Supper. Okay, number one is the word institution. Institution. And that word, it means a, a law or practice or custom. And so when it comes to the Christian church, there are two institutions. One is baptism. The other is the Lord's Supper. And it's a practice that we have. Baptism, you only do once when you're old enough to understand and you're not ashamed and you go into the water and the old man dies, the new man rises. It's a practice that we do once. Communion is another institution that we do repeatedly, right? It's to be practiced regularly, and it was. If you read Acts 2.42, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And there were references to the breaking of bread. That's a reference to communion. We see the same thing in Acts 2.46. And then also in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, how they would get together each week and they would break bread and they would have communion. And so number one is the word institution. And so make sure, you know, that when you go to church service that, that you know, for us, we do communion the second Sunday of every month and the fourth Thursday of of every month and so if you want to know like kind of like okay today's a special day in one sense i mean every day is special but let's prepare our hearts because today we're going to have the lord's supper and you come in next week lord willing and you know we're going to partake of the lord's supper today communion so it's an institution regularly practiced you do also maybe with your friends maybe with your family you don't have to be a pastor to do communion uh and so number one is an institution Number two is the word communion. And so institution, second word is communion. And, and this is an interesting word when you really think about it. Because um, the Catholic Church, 
will tell you that when they partake of the Lord's Supper, they have this word transubstantiation. You guys ever heard that? Transubstantiation. And what they mean is this is, this is the literal body and blood of Jesus. They would use in the old days the word hocus pocus and boom, it would change into the literal body and blood of Jesus. Well, when Jesus instituted communion, he was, his body was right here. The bread was right here. So I, I don't, you know, we know it's not that, right? But when we, what we've we got to be careful of it is although we don't believe it's a sacrament, you know, which is a step towards or part of salvation, we do believe it's sacred. And I think that's where I think a lot of times churches might, Christian churches, Protestant churches might fall short. Well, you know, it's not a sacrament. It's just symbolic. Well, it's not superficially symbolic. It's, it's sacred. It's sacred. What, what's happening right here when we're having communion is, we're, is there's a union with God. And there's a union with each other. Where you're eating of the same bread, we're drinking of this cup together. And I think that we need to kind of bring it up a little bit more to where it belongs when we have the Lord's Supper together. It's, it's communion. It's a union with God and with, it, with each other. You see, the Corinthians were despising the house of God. They were disrespecting the people of God. And they were doing the same regarding, they didn't, they didn't, they were not reverencing, they were not acknowledging the sacredness of what was going on here. You see, a union made possible by the cross of Jesus Christ. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed so that we can now have a new covenant. And that was huge. You know, when we think about that, transitioning from the old to the new, I was thinking maybe you could turn to Jeremiah 31 because this had been prophesied by Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, in verse 31, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their mind and write it on their hearts. Think about that. It's a new covenant, not on tables of stone, not the, the letter of the law, but it's something that they're going to learn. And as they learn, it comes into their mind. It will reach their hearts. God says, I'm going to write this on the tables of their hearts. How, how precious is that? And then he says right here, and, and I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. Now it's interesting, the Hebrew word translated know is yada. And it's the same word translated 
you know, know when Adam knew his wife. It is an intimacy. And God says that when I establish the new covenant with my people, that they will all know me. That it will be this intimacy from the least of them to the greatest of them. Whatever the position is, whatever the person is. I mean, you might look in the church and whatever you do, please don't think, well, they know the Lord more than they do. That there's some type of spiritual hierarchy. That they're better than them. Absolutely not. That, you know, it's all level at the foot of the cross. We're all sinners. And what the Lord is saying is when this new covenant is established, it's a, it's a priesthood of all believers. And it's, it goes into their mind, they learn it, and then it reaches their hearts. And then everyone, they're all going to know me, the least whatever, however you would define that to the, to the greatest, they're all going to know me. You see, this is the new covenant. There's no second-class citizens here in Calvary Chapel Almighty. There's no second-class citizens in the church. And so when Jesus is establishing this, this new covenant with them, this is the blood, he said, of the new covenant, they, they would immediately know, well, this is what Jeremiah is talking about, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And what, this is what, what he's trying to establish with us. Listen, the Lord's Supper is, first of all, an institution that to be practiced regularly. Secondly, it's communion. And it's so sacred. It's so special. It's so wonderful that by the blood of Jesus Christ and because of his cross, that you and I are free and forgiven and we have entered into this relationship with God. You know, when, when you go back to Corinthians, we see institution and, and communion, and this is so amazing how Jesus gave his body to be broken and his blood to be shed to wash us of our sins. He says right here, uh, do this in, in remembrance of, of me. When you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. Now, the interesting thing about it is that it was uh, it, it followed the Passover dinner. Now, Passover was something they were to do once a year, in remembrance of the time that God brought them out of Egypt. And you guys remember, they would take the blood of the lamb and they would sprinkle it on the doorpost and the lintel of the, of the door. And when the angel of death came to their house, if they had the blood, then the angel of death would pass over. So what Jesus does here is he links himself to that Passover lamb but he also kind of changes it a little bit. He modifies it a little bit by saying, now you don't have to remember that, that time when it was all, you know, just that, that, you know, I guess you could say shadow. Now it's a substance. Now it's not like, you know, back in Exodus chapter 13 necessarily, you know, in Moses. Now you remember Jesus. Jesus. It's very important for us to understand this is his church and he is here. And so that's communion. It is sacred. It's not just like superficially symbolic, whatever you do. I remember one time, and again, only the Lord knows the condition of the heart, but there are these people doing communion with soda and Reese's Pieces. 
And my daughter was telling me the other day, she said, Dad, you know, you have to do communion with unleavened bread. She told me that the other day. I'm like, okay, sweetheart. No more pita bread, huh? Because pita bread has leaven in it. And again, I don't know. I'm not saying that you can't have, you know, fluffy bread. I just think, you know what, let's, she's right. It's sacred. There is an institution. There is this communion with God and with one another. Union, right? And then the third word is the proclamation. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You know, when we're having communion, we're, we're, we're looking back to that time that Jesus instituted it. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, and I've told you guys this before, how uh, Bruce Shelley in his book on church history, he prefaces it by saying that Christianity is the only religion in the world where the centerpiece is the humiliation of her God. He says, I want you to keep going back to the cross. You keep going back to that day that I died. You keep going back to the day that I showed you my love. And we do every time we have communion, the day he died, when he died. But not just his death, also his return. Because it says right here in Matthew twenty six twenty nine, I say to you, Jesus said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so that's what the Lord's Supper is. It's an institution. It's communion, so much to that. It's a proclamation and then the fourth thing is it's an examination. Notice what Paul says in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats his bread or drinks his cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. And so institution communion, proclamation, examination. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. And so when you're doing the self-examination as we're getting ready to partake of the Lord's Supper, you know, you just have to remind yourself and search your heart. Is this holy to me? Am I taking this to heart seriously? Do I understand the meaning and significance of this? Do I see his body crucified? Do I acknowledge his church unified? When we're, when we're having this potluck, this church, these meetings together, is that my heart? Is this really a love feast? 
You know, if we take it lightly, then we're guilty and our Father will be forced to deal with us and if necessary, severely. You guys know that when God disciplines us, first he does it verbally. First thing he does when he corrects us is he speaks to us. He tells us to get right. Just listen when he talks to you. If he says jump, what do you say? How high? That's all I got to do, man. But if you don't want to listen to him verbally, then he'll start dealing with you circumstantially. If that doesn't work, next thing you know, it can be physically. If that doesn't work, it can be mortally. <laughs> Paul said, that's, this is why some of you guys are weak. You're weak. And who knows, maybe it's not just weak physically. Maybe it's weak spiritually. Because when you have communion, you're not really seeing the sacredness of it. You're weak. You're sick. Some of you have died. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who's physically ill or, or, you know, those who have died, you know, they're guilty of this, but some are. And it just, there's that warning here. And the intention is not, because some people will come to a passage like this and they'll say, okay, then, well, when I have communion or when they pass the cup and the bread, I'm not going to take it because, you know, my heart's not right. That is not the intention of this. The intention of this passage is to get your heart right, right here, right now. That none of us would come in and hold on to any sin. That none of us here would be bound to being bitter towards any other brother or sister. This is where we have the opportunity for self-examination. If there's anything wrong, Lord, I, I give it to you. Paul says, because of your lack of love for the Lord and others while taking communion, some have experienced the discipline of God. You know, William Barclay said this, every man in whose heart there is hatred, bitterness, contempt against his brother, as he comes to the table of our Lord, he eats and drinks unworthily. Paul said it doesn't have to be there. It doesn't have to be that way. As God's children, we can get away with it. We can't get away with it. We're chastened by the Lord. That's what he says right there, in order that we wouldn't be condemned with the world. In other words, they might get away with the things that they do because they're not Christians. But you're Christians, and God will deal with us to keep us on track. Huh? I always tell my son, there's a difference between being disciplined by God and being punished by God. We, we don't get punished. Jesus absorbed all the punishment on the cross. We get disciplined. And what that is, is God is using that to keep us where we need to be. I must not eat or drink the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. I need to realize the significance of communion or the Lord's Supper. And I need to realize the significance of every single saint in the body of Christ. If so, if that's what you see in your heart, if something is wrong, then we need to repent immediately, wholeheartedly. Again, it's interesting how the Lord gives us 1 John 1, 9, the Christian bar of soap, right? You guys wash your hands? Do you use soap? That, that 1 John 1, 9 is the soap. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, homo logeo, so say the same thing about them that he says. 
You know, it's not like, okay, Lord, I did this. It's like, Lord, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. Then we walk out after communion, and what a beautiful experience. You know, real quick, um, we don't have time in first service. When you get a chance, I encourage you, read 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. And it talks about how, you know, when we're a church and we really know the Lord, that we're not going to be, you know, harboring this hatred towards other Christians. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so this is our opportunity to, to be free, to be forgiven, to be cleansed. You know, I... I uh, I don't know if I should tell you guys this. I read a dorky dad joke. Do you guys like dad jokes? This is a dorky dad joke about the guy who cut off the entire left side of his body. The result, he was all right. You don't have to cut off the entire left side of your body. All you have to do is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here Paul closes. He says in verse 33, Therefore, my, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order. Again, William Barclay said, A church is no true church if the art of sharing is forgotten. When people wish to keep things to themselves and to their own circle, they are not even beginning to be Christian. The true Christian cannot bear to have too much while others have too little. He finds his greatest privilege not in jealously guarding his privileges, but in giving them away. See, at the end of the day, I think it's this, you guys. It's just love. It's just love. When you're talking about this love feast, when you're talking about the church, when you're talking about Jesus, when you're talking about us being together, it's never an exclusivity. It's never uh, where I don't want the best for you. It's just this thing called love. And it's just so beautiful the way that Jesus institutes everything, you know, because it wasn't necessarily a monument to be erected. It's not necessarily a holiday to, to be established, but it's a meal to be enjoyed. And so I pray that we would enjoy this Lord's Supper, this communion with him and with each other. You know, I, I brought some bananas in today. A bunch of bananas. And because uh, I didn't have a chance to eat breakfast this morning, and the bananas I have, if I keep them, I have too many. I left a, uh, If I keep them, they're going to go bad. And so I said, I'm going to bring them in. And so when I brought them in, I offered them to the, the team. And, and then I almost took one and put it in my office. I almost did that just to make sure that I got one. And then the Lord said, hey, that's what you're teaching today. <laughs> Leave it there, and, and, and if everybody gets the banana, if there's one left for you, cool. If not, praise God, because that's what love is all about. That's what the Lord has done for us. He's so good.